wasn't a quick or easy process. I did a lot of soul-searching. I worried it was inappropriate and fretted I was betraying Lacey. I had many conversations with her about these issues. Then, one day I recalled a conversation I'd had with Detective Craig Grogan during the trial. I'd asked him if the dog handlers who were involved in the original search for Lacey were still looking for her. He said no, and explained that the handlers' expenses are covered through donations or out of their own pockets, and basically the police department was out of money. Recalling that conversation became my deciding factor. I'd use money from this book to start a fund for search and rescue in memory of Lacey and Connor. I knew Lacey would approve. In this book, I've tried to recall some of those everyday moments that will help people know Lacey the way her family and friends did. She deserves to be remembered for her life, not her death. I've also described, to the best of my ability, what I went through from that first unsuspecting moment when I picked up the phone on December 24, 2002, to the tears I cried when Scott was convicted of murdering Lacey and Connor and was sentenced to death. For the past couple years, I have filled Lacey's old bedroom with everything I have from her life and her death. You can't get into the room anymore. Whenever I received a box of letters, I put them in there. When a San Luis Obispo businessman sent me two paintings he'd found that she'd done in high school, I leaned them against her old bed. I saved every newspaper article and put them in boxes. And in the back corner is a cedar chest containing her cheerleader outfits, school awards, letters, and albums, all things I struggled to retrieve from her old house after she was murdered. I saved her belongings so I wouldn't lose her. On the day I started this book, I opened my cedar chest and some of the boxes for the first time. I'd found papers she'd written in grade school. I reread the holiday cards she made as a child, each one ending with, Love, Lacey. I watched her wedding video again and cried at how beautiful and happy she was that day. I also went to the house where she lived with Scott, and I walked through the park where we'd looked for her in the cold the night Scott called and said she was missing, the night our lives changed forever. I wanted to put it all in this book, and I tried. By going through all this again, this time on my terms, I hope to start the healing process and repair some of my hurt and heartbreak. Thus far, that has proved to be unrealistic. I still cry every day. I've moved forward, but not very far. My wound has remained large and fresh. I don't know if I'll ever heal. I think you learn to live with the pain. I still talk to Lacey. There are so many things I still want to say to her. I tell her that I am so sorry this happened. I'm sorry I wasn't there to protect her when she needed to be protected. I'm sorry I didn't see Scott for who he really is and get her away from him before he could hurt her. I tell her how much I miss her, how much I wish she was still here, able to stop by or call, and how much I love her. I can't recall a single day since she disappeared when I haven't thought about her and cried. I'll hear a certain song, catch a particular scent, see a sunflower, a ladybug, or a dragonfly, her favorites, or pass her junior high school, and I'll be reminded of her. For a moment, I'll forget she's gone. Then it hits me, cruelly and hard. About a year after Lacey was murdered, 
I was on my way out of the house, and I just closed the door behind me when I heard the phone ring. I hurried back inside, thinking it might be Lacey, because I hadn't spoken to her for a long time. Of course, it wasn't Lacey. It won't ever be Lacey. These are still tough times. I get by one day at a time. I feel better when I'm helping others. I speak out on behalf of victims' rights. I am eternally grateful to my family and friends, my circle of love, as I refer to them, who have been with us from day one of this nightmare. In times of despair, they offered hope. During times of weakness, they provided strength. In moments of hate, they gave love. As always, I want to express my unending gratitude to the Stanislaus County District Attorney's Office and the Modesto Police Department, and to every person and organization that helped search for Lacey and Connor and sought justice for their murders. I also want to acknowledge everyone who sent emails, cards, photos, flowers, and gifts, who posted messages in our online guestbook, and who kept us in their prayers. I may have often felt alone, but I know I was never by myself. All of you sustained me through the worst times. I believe there is more love in the world than there is pain, and when I'm feeling doubtful about that or down, I remind myself of it by looking at the cards and letters I received, such as this one. Dear Sharon, I know it's not the same as if you were getting the card from Lacey, but I hope this eases some of the pain on Mother's Day. My mother won't talk to me and never loved me. My baby doesn't have a grandmother. I wish I could bring Lacey back for you. I don't have a mother, so I hope you don't mind if I make you my mom today. I've never been able to fully understand why Lacey's disappearance and murder captivated so many people, but I have my own theory. I believe that Lacey wasn't going to allow Scott to get away with murder, so she kept the spotlight shining down on him until he was convicted. She was determined to see him punished. At the same time, I know Lacey wouldn't have believed all the attention. The outpouring of love and concern would have amazed her. Whenever she was surprised about something, she said, Nah, and I can hear her saying that about all the attention her story generated around the world. Nah, Mom. She wasn't perfect, but there was something special about Lacey. She couldn't wait to be a mom. When she smiled, every one of her five feet one inches lit up. You felt her enthusiasm. She made an impression. She was a real person, not a face in a magazine, and I will always remember her as someone who truly lived life, who savored each moment of her life. I'd give anything to go back in time for one more minute with her. She loved Scott. All of us did. Not only did I lose Lacey and Connor, I also lost my son-in-law. The Scott Peterson the world came to know is not the Scott Peterson we knew before December 24, 2002. We learned about that person through police investigations and in court, in the papers and on television, the same as everyone else. Prior to that, he was different. All of us were. Part 1. Her Mother's Daughter She'd want us to laugh and recall all of the good times we had with her. Brent Rocha, Lacey's brother. Chapter 1 It was spring 2005, 
and I heard a sound at home that had been absent for a long time. Laughter. Two of Lacey's longtime girlfriends, Stacy Boyers and Lori Ellsworth, were at my dining room table. Both were in their late twenties, the same age Lacey would have been. They were dressed casually, they looked nice, and they radiated a youthful glow. I marveled at how much life they had in them. I pictured them as little girls at that table doing homework, snacking on cookies, and giggling at which boys liked which girls. Now they were reminiscing about Lacey. I gave Lori a cold beer, put a glass of Chardonnay in front of Stacy, and took one myself. Soon they were telling Lacey stories that made them laugh, especially the latest one. Stacy started to describe what they'd done at the cemetery, but abruptly cut herself off. Seeming alarmed, she looked at Lori and, while trying not to laugh, asked, Should I tell her what we said today? Oh, my God, Lori said. You can't. I looked around the table. There were four chairs and three of us. If Lacey were in that fourth chair, she'd be the one most eager to hear what was making them laugh. I said exactly what Lacey would have said to Stacy. Go ahead, tell me. Stacy, whom I've known since she was eight, didn't require much coaxing, and neither did Lori once they got started. Lori and I went to visit Lacey today, Stacy said. We were standing there, talking to her like we always do, catching her up with all the gossip. Then we were quiet for a moment, and I said to Lori, I know what's going on with her. I can hear Lacey now knocking on her neighbor's casket saying, Hello, anybody in there? Who's there? I need to talk to somebody. As she said this, Lori was turning red from embarrassment. She was probably thinking, Oh my gosh, how's Sharon going to take this?